Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. Well, welcome, welcome to the Old Grad Podcast. I think this is episode 36 or 37 of the Old Grad Is it really Pod- that many? Is that many? I can't, I like, that's awesome. Like that. You take that number of people that I've been talking to times an hour and a half, which is generally the average time that these things last. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time spent on this thing. But, yeah, but it's a lot of good time. Oh, I, l- listen, I always enjoy it. I enjoy talking to classmates and just kind of reminiscing and really enjoy just connecting with people. So for me, it's a labor of love. And a lot of people have, a lot of people have enjoyed it too. So I'm, I'm happy to, and honored to do it. Yeah, I think uh, the ones that I've listened to, you always kind of catch something new from somebody or you realize, wow, that dude or dudette did something that was really pretty cool or they're moving down in a cool new path. It's, it's been fun to listen to. Yeah, And I have to go back and read and go back and listen to the other ones that I haven't seen. Everybody's got a story. You know, everybody's got a story. And I think the other thing that's unique about having been through what we've been through, the common experience of West Point, the cauldron of getting through what we've been through and, and also working in the military. You know, there's a level of humility that comes with it. And I think just sheer honesty that we have with each other, which is refreshing, you know, as opposed to a lot of times people are just always trying to put on, uh, make themselves out to be bigger than they are, better than oh, they yeah. are, you know. So. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I think when you really can see through people when they start telling you really what they've done, because you really, you want to learn and hear about how people maybe not have done so well or stumbled along the way, because we have all stumbled. And some of those mm-hmm. stories are funny. Mm-hmm. And they offer something to learn from. So, absolutely, absolutely. So, welcome and aloha. By the way, I see the beautiful, the beautiful uh, weather behind you. So, you're coming to us from where? No. Uh, I live in Mililani, Hawaii, which is about ten minutes outside Schofield Barracks on uh, the interstate H two. So, it takes me about fifteen minutes to get to work, and we're sitting at about a thousand feet in the central Oahu area. It used to be up until about twenty years ago. This was all pineapple fields. It looks magnificent. I mean, for those that are going to listen to us on Podbean, you know, and you won't get to see the video, you're missing a, just a beautiful, beautiful landscape behind you. It looks, looks fantastic. Oh, it's absolutely, uh, we found this place. We were so lucky to find it. And uh, it's absolutely beautiful. The only thing that's really a drawback from living right here is uh, the training area is literally right behind my back. So age 64s and Blackhawks and machine guns and all that stuff is going off there because they're running around playing army back there probably about five six hundred meters away from us but it's on the other side of a gulch it's not too bad that, that must be it's kind of neat because you get to you know listen to that and hear that and, and it takes you back to your time you know doing that stuff right yeah and then we play the quiz uh we'll look i'll look at my daughters and i'll go okay what kind of helicopter is that and they'll go chinook and we'll go no blackhawk no apache oh nice good job and uh, so we continue that game. They're pretty good at it. Um, the new ones now, the Marines are flying around here a lot more. So you get to see some Ospreys and some 53s. They're not familiar with those noises. So we got to work a little bit on those. So give me the, give me the lowdown. Like, where are you? Kids, family, all that kind of stuff. Give me the, the whole rundown of what's, what's going on in the life of the Gordon family. Uh, okay. Yep. You betcha. So my wife, Stacey, and I, we met in 1996 at a 10-year high school reunion. We went to the same high school, didn't know each other in high school. Uh, We met at a party right after the reunion. 
we got married in 98 when we were at Campbell. I just finished my first assignment as an aviator in Korea. I went to Campbell. We got married. Um, so we've been married now a little over 22 years. We have two beautiful daughters. Our oldest is 19. She goes to George Washington University in D.C. Um, pretty accomplished sailor. Uh, is trying to teach me how to sail right now. And then we have a younger one. She's turning 17 in about a month. She goes to uh, the local high school here. Uh, she can sing, she can dance, and she does theater. She likes to entertain. So she's our uh, dramist, I guess. Uh, Stacy, fantastic. She used to be an audiologist when we first got married, and then we had children. We were grateful she can stay home. And now she is about to become a sailing instructor for the MWR Marina down at Pearl Harbor and teach little kids how to sail uh, dinghies and small craft. And so here I am. That's a nice little yeah. job. Yeah, so I bet she's a great gig for her. She has a lot of fun. Uh, she didn't start sailing until a couple of years ago. And then Ruby helped teach her, our young, our oldest. Uh, she's pretty accomplished sailor. Then, so we do that. And then I work as a civilian, a DA civilian up at Schofield Barracks after retiring in 14. So by the way, I gotta, I gotta, I wanna come back to that, but I gotta make a quick announcement that uh, I'm, I am currently at, at, at my beach house down on the Jersey shore. And we are having some crazy weather here. I don't know if you hear in the background, it sounds like the wind is howling back and forth. Like it is not the beautiful, majestic, serene Hawaiian background that you have there. I'm listening to like some, some serious weather going on. So if we get cut out, it's because maybe like a telephone pole was knocked over or something. <laughs> so I don't know if you're hearing that, the wind howling in the background. I don't hear anything. No, you don't. It is, it, is, it is crazy since we just got on this call i've been listening to it's just it's crazy out there so but i so am, do you live by anybody fancy down there does some nah. famous person well, live actually, on a house you know, two streets who, down from you you know you know who actually lives not too far away is uh joe pesci joe pesci really? has a house. yeah 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 so from um good fellas and um my, yeah. my uncle Vinny or my cousin Vinny. yeah cousin Vinny, you know it yeah yeah he's um he's about a mile away from me um he's keeping his yard up uh yeah i think so he's got people keeps his yard up i you know i I don't i think he might have sold his place too i'm not sure i'm not sure that's pretty that's cool i'm down here in quarantine i'm now quarantining from from covid because uh i spent the weekend uh, against everyone's better judgment i spent the weekend in texas i went to the retirement of our classmate uh uh, eddie bayouth and it was a magnificent it. time. It was, it was worth it. I was back and forth about whether I was going to go or not because New Jersey is so damn um, restrictive with, with, the, um, with quarantining. And my big fear is that I somehow give it to my daughter who's like a soccer player and is like, we shut down her season. So we just can't let oh, that yeah. We just can't let that happen. So, so I decided to come down here and I'm down here until I get a test. And so that'll be on Wednesday or so. So you're down there by yourself. Down here by Nobody myself. Nobody can't, you're no, no wife, no kids, nobody. No, I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting area tours in the room here by myself is what I'm doing. Yeah. Are you eating cold pizza and hot dogs? What are you eating? Yeah. I, you, you can't know, cook. Can you cook? I, I no, actually I cooked some stuff tonight. I just, I'm, I'm actually while I'm down here too, I'm saying to myself, this would be a perfect time for me to work out and eat really healthily and like not, Although I am a little bit of crap, beer. you're not going to do that. I'm drinking beer right now, so I've, I've already ruined it. Uh, but I thought maybe I, I went for a run today. I actually went for two runs today. I went for a run this morning, 
and it's just three miles. And then I saw somebody post on our Facebook, Amuso George, who was with me, posted he ran six miles today. So you got to go out and run another three. I ran another three. I ran another three. So Yeah, I don't run anymore. I gave that up. <laughs> so you are a much better man than I am. I gave that up. I'm not doing that. I barely run. I'm like, I'm like shuffling. I'm shuffling. So... Um, no, we should I'm say hello to a couple of classmates that are on the line here. I know Scott Clemson, Brad Woods, Terry Rice, who's in New Jersey. He's talking about he's talking about the weather here because he's in New Jersey as well. So he's probably getting some of this crazy wind. It sounds like the house is going to get knocked down. By the way, it's crazy. I don't hear it at all. I don't hear it uh, at all. That's, that's see. Do you hear the birds? Do you hear the birds on my? End? I hear the birds. Yeah, I hear like that beautiful. Okay. It's like you're in one of those meditation videos, like or like like. Uh, oh. Yeah. Try, this is try where to, I meditate. Yeah. This is where I do my daily meditation. Yeah. Do you do that daily, right daily meditation? Oh, yeah, I do. And it, it's really helped me. I, I end up, uh, I do TM twice a day. I do it right when I first wake up. Uh, if I'm home, I'll do it in the afternoon here. If I'm at work, I'll go, I, I have a field that I go sit in. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that think I'm a weirdo. I take my chair, I sit behind these trees in the shade. And for 20 minutes, I do my TM. I tell you, it's been a fantastic thing for me. So you use TM, Transcendental Meditation. That's like like serious yeah. following the whole, you do it 20 minutes a day, twice a day? Yeah, I do. You know, it, uh, when I we first started, I got started because a friend of mine um, who was with me as, as an OC at NTC, he was in drum and he was flying a 58D outside Talafa in Iraq and he was shut down. And I uh, sustained some pretty significant injuries and uh, has really kind of dealt with it. But one of his coping strategies is he, he started doing transcendental meditation and then i was having some really challenges sleeping i was having real challenges kind of uh, calming myself and so uh he talked me into it so a couple years ago i started it so twice twice a day i ended up doing tm it, it's been phenomenal it's not hard we don't there's no magic to it we're not floating we're not doing any weird stuff we're not focusing on a pencil tip um, it's just a, a technique to, to calm yourself for 20 minutes at a pop it's awesome you heard what i do it that's that's wonderful that you do that. I mean, I I I've tried to do some, you know, stillness like you know meditation for like just yeah, but you know, yeah, I couldn't do that. But what I do with TM is I, I'm literally my head. I'm still running through daily stuff, and every once in a while my my mantra will bring me back and I'll kind of settle back down. But I'm not trying to stop anything. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not focusing on a phrase. I'm not focusing on a color. You just sit there and do it. Um, it's really one of those meditative forms. It's a lot less demanding and you don't have to be as uh, disciplined, which I'm not anymore to be able to do that. You know, I was listening to, there's a, um, organization, I think it's still in existence called meditation. It's oh, really? teaching, teaching veterans how to meditate. Yeah. It's a, a That's what Andy wellness. did. Yeah. And he ran a, uh, equine therapy and meditation place yoga meditation equine therapy and he was using that to help himself work through some of the challenges that he he was trying to work through after uh, his events in iraq this is the guy that you talked about before that got you into it yeah okay. yeah yeah so he was uh so the, the they were saying the most basic meditation you can do which is the one that i do is just picture yourself breathing in and then breathing out a number like a bubble oh, a yeah. bubbly number like one two three and just try to get up to like 20 and then 30 and then 40 just blow out the number picture the oh, number that's a good and, technique yeah yeah and so that's 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 what i've tried to do a little bit so are you uh, consistent with it no not like i not like i've been in the past i i i'm a total like self-help nut i like i'm like your perfect candidate for this stuff i 
like a slow learner, you know, who's committed. So I keep trying these different things. You yeah. Know? And that's so, all you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think I recommend that you stick with whatever you think you're going to find because it's that, you know, my, um, I read an article the other day, they've equated this self-awareness, your mind, where you're at with how you get through life. It's just a better, a better approach. Well, there's no, doubt, keep saying it, there's no doubt that it definitely helps. It, it definitely gets you, um, definitely gets you more effective as an, as a person, you know? Um, so I find myself like when I'm trying to run through a to-do list and the to-do list is getting to be too long and it's taking me only separate areas. Yeah. I just say, I'll put that to the side. Let me just spend like three minutes meditating. I'm not going to write anything down. I'm just going to think through everything. And then I'm going to figure out what I got to do. You know? Yeah, that's a good technique. Yeah. I'm impressed though. So twice a day you do it. That's, that's, well, I mean, if I were living in that Hawaii with that beautiful background, I might, I might be more committed to it then. Oh, I think you can do it. I think you can do it. But yeah, you know, I do it at work too. Uh, I used to do it where I'd close my door. I would only, I told people, hey, I'm going to start to meditate. If you see my door closed, don't bother me because normally my door would always be open. So they were pretty respectful of that. So it kind of worked out. And it doesn't take long to do 20 minutes. You know, that's what is that? A couple minutes not doing Facebook or a couple minutes not watching TV and uh, mm -hmm. you just do it. I, I just got to get my wife to do it. She took the classes with me and she kind of went on and off. And, but uh, I've been able to stick with it, thank goodness. Um, so, so you, your role with, so do you go to work every day on, at Schofield Barracks? Like that's your, that's your place, yeah. your place of work? Yeah, I work from, uh, it's, uh, I love my schedule. I, I show up at seven in the morning and I leave at four in the afternoon. And so for those nine hours or whatever, it's, I work in the same division headquarters I worked at when I was a Lieutenant Colonel, just in a couple different offices. And uh, every day is like, we're there in the grind. It's okay for us. Uh, my office is big enough. There's other one guy with us. We're pretty. We don't do meetings in person anymore. We don't do any of that stuff. So we're pretty safe. Uh, we're pretty uh, far apart from everybody, and we just kind of roll with doing what we got to do every day. We do a lot of Teams meeting on MS Teams, so we're getting pretty good at that. That's what the Army uses is Teams. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. My daughters use Google. My daughters, one daughter uses Google. Another one uses Blackboard. The Blackboard's less as good. Google's pretty good, but I really like the Teams. Mm -hmm. uh, you can share stuff and post. It's it's a common uh, it's a common app, but you can share so much. It's, it works out yeah. really well. There are certain types of meetings that I think now are going to only take place virtually because you're actually more effective. Like if you can share some, you can share a screen and everybody's looking at it. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think the way that we work has been changed because of COVID, it's been advanced further, faster. Yeah, I think the, the thing around here that's kind of making me weirded out is everybody now wants us to have a camera so they can look at you when you're having a meeting. And I'm thinking, why do we want to do that? Why can't we just have a meeting? But the, the camera seems to be the latest thing. Wait, so uh, you're, background's in a big meeting, thing too. you're in the meeting yeah. and somebody has a camera on you in the meeting? Uh, you know, like, like our, you know, and sit when you, you're in the MS Teams meeting, and for me, I have a little icon with me and my dog. Or that's bad. Oh, my you. dog and I, and instead of having a camera shot, I'm never on camera. I, our network is, uh, how do I put this? We might be running like a 1995 network that speed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so every time somebody puts a camera on, it just eats it up. So, but now people want us to be on camera because senior leaders are kind of worried that nobody's recognizing faces and interacting face wise. And so now we're trying to work through that, but it's all good. Yeah. So who, who does your, who is your boss then? Like, who do you report into? Like, what's the, how is it set up? Is it like a directorate? Like, do you, 
What's the? I work for a GS14 who works for the G3 of the division. So um, we work kind of like a little side branch of training. Remember all the G3 training guys would sit around and worry about how many, how much bullets we shot and how much land we needed. We work kind of as a little offshoot for there running programs. And uh, we kind of bridge between what's going on in the division and what the army wants to give us for money or U.S. Army Pacific wants to give us for money. So we're, we're walking some lines. And do you find, so you're working with both green suitors and civilians, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you find yourself on that? Like, I, there's always, I, I worked at, at AMC for a while, the Army Material Command. Oh, wow, that'd be a lot of work, yeah. As I was, a, I was an officer there, but it was the VA civilian. I never quite figured out what the relationship was like between civilians and the green suitors, like how that whole thing works. Oh, yeah. Well, um, the way we approach it, the way my boss approaches it, and this is the third DAC job that I've had, but you always work for the green suitor. So that lieutenant colonel or that colonel, he's kind of, he's telling you, hey, these are the priorities and this is what we want to get done. And then you as the civilian, you're kind of managing, you're kind of giving him good advice. You're saying, hey, I saw this five times ago, or hey, you needed to go get another X number of dollars. And you've got to go back to the army to get this dollar. And then we try to work that on the sideline. But the green suitor is always in charge. Mm-hmm. That officer is in charge. So we just do it. We try to help them out. And that gets a little frustrating because you can just imagine, you know, I've seen the same problem five or six times. And that guy's just new in. Sometimes they want to listen in. Sometimes they don't. So we have some mm-hmm. uh, rides. <laughs> do, you, do you think that you have a, a certain credibility because you're a former army officer as opposed to somebody that was like a career civilian in the army? Um, I think it might open a door. You know, like it might open a door or start a conversation but there are civilian employees that have been doing the same thing for 20 years that really have a, a wealth of knowledge and never wore as a suit, um, that they have a wealth and a breadth of knowledge. Um, what I kind of might have a little bit is, you know, I can say, hey, man, when I was in the cab, I remember doing it this way. Or, hey, when I was a lieutenant colonel, kind of bring a frame of reference, open a door, start a conversation. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think it gives me any more magic powers to say, OK, well, this guy, he retired as an army officer. This person over here only did 25 years of civil servant no it, it doesn't i don't think it works that way i was talking to muso george muso our classmate he did the ceremony for eddie bayou for his retirement this this was cool is I, that but it was magnificent it was magnificent we had like 10 of our company mates there because we have a lot of people live in texas and you know uh dave romano flew up from uh from florida and sean crowley was uh in from from uh, new york and uh, Scotty Brander came in from Washington State, and you know we we just had we had so many people, but we were talking. Did they have Moose, it at a cool location? Yeah, because Moose, you know, Moose can basically pull the per, the the, the uh, strings, you know, because Eddie was like, if I want to have, they, they had it on post at some um, at some theater, which is oh awesome, like a it, it's it's an eclectic kind of a cool theater, and Eddie was like, if I asked for this thing, there's no way I would get it, but if General George asked for it, we're gonna get it. And so Moose pulled some strings and got his uh, retirement ceremony to be there. And it what was a great memory. Oh yeah, it was magnificent. It was so much. It was so great. It was so, it was so great to see everybody, but also so great to celebrate, you know, the career and the service of of Eddie, and and what he's done. And and um, it was. I, I hope that you know, as more and more of our classmates, you know, are are retiring, 
you know, we get the opportunity to, to be part of it because it really is great. So it's neat fun. to look back on, you know, when you, when you go to an event like that and he, you think about where the retiree, and I'll just call it the retiree, where he's or she has come and gone and done, and you kind of get a chance to capture that. You really realize how much people really do, how much yeah. they get accomplished. We, well, for, and Eddie has had a really fascinating career because he left the Army. He has an eight-year break in service. So he what brought him back. You know, um, I think love of the army, love of country, beauty, all those things, you know, and it was so funny about Eddie too. He's the most cynical guy you can, I, I, what he probably should be as a stand-up comedian in his next, in his next career, because he's so funny, so quick with the one-liners. So he's got this, this element of sarcasm. He's got like this, um, you know, he, he's, his family's from Puerto Rico. So he's a little bit of a Puerto Rican accent, but it's like a, you know, like a single one, like, you know, and um, so funny, I, he sent it, I asked him to send to me his retirement speech because uh, he had some funny things in here that I wanted to share. He, he started picking apart his OERs and like, what do these OERs mean? <laughs> you know, what does this language mean? And he wrote, um, he says, when it says that I contributed immeasurably, what it really means is no one actually knows how to measure it. But I did attend a lot of meetings. Um, what else did he say? When it says that I can be counted on, it meant generally I follow orders, especially the simple ones. Um, when it says- For the right uniform at the right time? Yeah, when it says requires minimal guidance, it means that everything had to be explained to me either because I was stupid or I didn't listen. For me, this is one that applies at home as well. He talked about his, you know, his wife also feels the same way. Uh, th this one I love. It says, um, a true workhorse, which means I was useful in situations that involve moving furniture, carrying mailbags, or, or burning human feces. So, yeah, I call that the brute force and ignorance jobs, and I was really good at those too. We yeah. just need somebody to go do that. But let me ask you a serious question, though. You said he's married, and he's married, right? Mm -hmm. Did he thank his wife? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of okay, course. good. Because oh, I've yeah. been at too many events like that where dudes forget their wife, and you got to go. What are you thinking, you clown? He was, he was very. And Beth, so and like your wife too. We should talk about this, but she would, did not sign up to be an army wife, right? No. Because think about this: they met when he was a civilian, right? I think they got married when he was a civilian, or he was just, no, he was getting out of the army. That's what it was. He was getting out of the army. They met. And he was getting out of the army and said, okay, we're gonna have this civilian career. He went and worked at um, uh, M&M Mars for a while. And, um, and, then he, uh, and then he went then he went back into the army. He was in the reserves and he got mobilized and he stayed mobilized is what, is what happened. So um, really, uh, really fast. Yeah, I remember going to an event once where the dude did not talk about his wife. Mm. And you gotta go, man, what are you? Where, where are you at in the pantheon of priorities? You know, you, oh. you basically have ignored your family. No, no. I think she, he probably mentioned her last, but it was because he built, he built up to it. He was like, you know. Yeah, I you, you mentioned last because that's what the biggest pedestal, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, the, other thing, the other funny story about Eddie is so funny. He, cause, so he's a civilian for like eight years, and then he gets, you know, he gets mobilized at um, South Carolina, and then they move him to San Antonio. Uh, and so 
they're doing like their move, you know, like they're, they're, they're going to pick up the household goods. And he's got like, I think he's got like 11,000 11, pound allowance of household goods. And they bring in like, you know, the contractor, whoever was the lowest bidder, they walk around and say, yeah, you're about probably 10,000, 11,000, you're, you're good, you're good. So he goes, everything moves over. He had like 28,000 pounds of shit, right? He's got like, you know, he, he's moving bicycles, he's moving, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so the, the army sends him a bill for like $7,000 for the move because he was overweight, the whole thing. And then he had to he had to fight that for tooth and nail. He finally got that re- he got that relieved. Oh yeah, but definitely. I know what that's like. <laughs> I definitely know what that's like. Hey man, you're not allowed to have that stuff with you. What are you talking about? You know, I think it, there's a great sort of mental uh, benefit from having to just you know unash yourself of a bunch of heavy stuff every once in a while. You know, and the army makes you do that. Oh yeah, it's good to do that. I, we've uh, my wife and I have done a pretty good job in this house of getting rid of stuff because we're, we're afraid of that. You know, you don't want to you don't want to get to the point where okay, am I going to move off somewhere? If I'm going to leave somewhere, and now why do I have these 17 years of National Geographics that I haven't looked at? I don't need that. Why do I have these 47 mugs that we picked up at some 5K somewhere? We don't need this. You know, simplify. Yeah, simplify. It's like that was a Marie Kondo. It doesn't give you yeah. Joy. It. does it give you joy no throw it out yeah and i'm i'm better at it than my wife do we need this no throw it away yeah we like to um we like to hold on to stuff a long time too so but your wife so your wife uh what's her name by the way stacy stacy so stacy didn't sign up for um you i mean oh no not was, at all you met her sort of like later on in life and yeah. then you were in the army, right? So she went from being like, you know, a full-blown civilian to being an army wife, like overnight kind of thing, right? Well, maybe not overnight, but pretty close. I mean, we met in 96. I went to Korea. I can still remember this. We met on flag day and birthday of the army, 1996 at our 10 year reunion. I left for Korea like five days later. Um, I come back 15 months later. See, she was very impressive because she was one of the few women that I'd ever met that had her own home. She had her own job. She was working. She was on her own. She was doing her thing. And so uh, I came back from Korea on my way to Campbell. I said, Let's, why don't you come out to Campbell, see what it's like, see what it's just like. So she came out and I said, why don't you live here with me? So she dropped everything in Salt Lake, got a job at uh, the Army Hospital right there on Campbell because she's an audiologist. So she could walk in there and basically, hey, do you need an audiologist? And they'd go. Why? Why? Yes. Yes, we do. And so she got a job right away. And then pretty soon uh, we lived together for about a year. Then I said, let's get married. We got married. And then pretty soon it was, I was no longer Captain Gordon or Rich. I was Stacy's husband or Stacy's dude or whatever you want to call it. She transplanted me. That was that first of those transitions you get as a mm-hmm. husband, as a father, you that transition. And then she's been here ever since. She slugged it out, slugged it out. Multiple How deployments. Years? How many years? Uh, 22. 22 years. 22. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how She's my secret weapon. She has some superpowers. Like what, what are superpowers? What are the superpowers? Um, uh, my daughter has type 1 diabetes, but my, my wife, so my wife cared for her since she was two, and my wife can see and sense, like, what is going on with that child, like, nobody's business. Like, I, I never figured it out, but she can do that. Um, my wife can meet somebody 
and instantly like a bond. We call them, we joke about it a little bit. We call it Stacy's airplane, airplane or airport friends or Stacy's best friends forever because she meets like within five minutes. Um, and the best example I can think of that is we went, we were in Germany and we went to a German American event. We were hanging out. We were uh, trying to make, you know, be part of the community. She met the mayor of the town we lived in. Within 30 minutes, she and he were crying in the corner as he recounts a story about how he lost his son to suicide. Um, she immediately um, made this bond that lasted for the two and a half years we were there. We visited them in Germany since we've left. They've come here to Hawaii since we've gotten here to Hawaii. She just can make a bond. She can get people to open up to her and talk to her like I've, I've never seen. That's our superpower. So, but yeah, she's great, rode some water out. She's been here. That's a great superpower to have in in the military too. Like to be able to just navigate those quickly changing faces and relationships and and to. Oh yeah, and, and when I was in command, when I was in battalion command, uh, we had a battalion that kind of struggled a little bit beforehand. There, the command team wasn't uh, wasn't focused as much on the families and the soldiers. So my wife Stacy came in and um, just by being a nice person and talking and listening. We found those families really helped those soldiers kind of come around to what we wanted to get done. And it, uh, we had a great, great two years in command. That's fantastic. And where, where was that command you said? Uh, I commanded an airfield operations battalion full of air traffic controllers and we were in Illesheim, Germany, right there in the middle of beautiful middle Franconia up in Northern Bavaria. It was awesome. So you branched infantry, but then transferred to aviation, right? How do you pull that off? What yeah, I did. Well, I went infantry. I went to Bragg. I was in 2nd Brigade. Randy Klingeman was in my company. Marty Adams was in my battalion. Who else was in there? Kimball Edwards, Brian Grady. There was a whole bunch of our class in that battalion. I ended up going to the Sinai for six months as a battalion. I said, this is boring as sin. We're guarding the gate. We're, we're sitting in this little perimeter thing. And I said, this isn't fun. So I put in a packet. At that time that you could apply to be a branch transfer, it's a big process. You had to complete all the physicals you had to do all that good stuff got that knocked out and so as a senior first lieutenant i got to go to flight school did flight school the advanced course and then we went to korea got a transition to a black hawk and then went to korea that's many tours and did the same thing a couple other guys did the same thing to become aviators yeah and it kind of helped out because you knew what other dudes in the army were doing you could you could have a little credibility when you talk to other people and you 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 mentioned too that you you uh, spent a lot of time in ranger school. Um, uh, <laughs> so six, six, yeah, months in, six months in ranger right. school. And so, um, you know, just doing the math, OBC plus six months of ranger school plus six months in the Sinai, you know, like. Oh, see, now it even went better than that. It goes like this. It goes, OBC, six months of ranger school, get to my battalion, do about a year and a half, maybe. Uh, maybe two years as an infantry guy. I was a platoon leader, scout platoon leader, HHCXO. Then I get picked up to go to flight school. I go to flight school in 94, 94, maybe right. 94, 95, go to advanced course. And then I'm in Korea in the summer of 96. Yeah, that's a, so that's a lot of time. Um, a lot of time before you go to flight school, it seems like. So you're a pretty senior person. Yeah. I mean, there's probably nobody nobody more senior than you in flight school i would think right you were probably the uh there's a couple of captains because we i got promoted to captain um uh, was it 95 i don't remember but there was a couple of dudes kind of on the same path bill huff 
Uh, he wasn't a classmate. He was a West Pointer, but he was the same guy, Mike Bentley, excuse me, another guy, Vinny Torza. We were all kind of in that same boat. There were a lot of captains floating around. It, it not, uh, not too many, not too many Ranger aviators too. I know there's a couple. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few, but you're right. It's not like it was not like ubiquitous. Like you go to an infantry battalion and every commissioned officer and all the senior non-commissioned officers are walking around with a tab. Um, there was times when I was maybe two or three dudes in an aviation battalion that have a tab of uh, former warrants or former NCOs that became warrants, maybe one or two uh, other lieutenants, maybe. Those are the guys that will hook you up with the uh, sandwiches and stuff when they're flying. Yeah. I never got to do that. No, I never got to do that. And um, I didn't get a ride in the back either because um, they were going to come down and we had some like freak electric storm when we were down in Florida. Um, I can still remember that's one of the memories of Ranger School huddled under, I'm kneeling down in this open field, trying not to get lightning, struck by lightning. So they didn't come and do their assault with us. But yeah, you hear the stories. That would have been fun. I had a night like that in Ranger School, Ranger School too. They just had us like lay down, like, like no, like just lay down on the ground. Like, I was like, good night. Like, they're like they're shaking me like three hours later to like you know get up we just went right to sleep you know no we put our weapons down we took our rucksacks off but we squatted to be squatted we just yeah we were we literally had just finished some sort of mission and this this lightning storm came in and they said okay everybody get in the open field because you know lightning won't strike an open field yeah uh, we all squatted Ooh. down like this all our kits off to one side we're just like they're getting pelted by rain it sucked absolutely sucked and and so by doing six months of ranger school you also do you're there for the or the the best ranger competition too right yeah that was right at the same time so i i, I can i know for a fact that i mowed the grass on the road leading up to the presentation site i picked up weeds and leaves in the competitors area i filled sandbags because they would have to do their little pusset climb and they'd have to do their obstacles or whatever i filled sandbags for that um and the whole the whole school stops and everybody's doing best ranger and i can still remember picking up weeds and trash and mowing grass yeah it's not a good time to get stuck at ranger school i remember hearing that when i no, was there sucked because we were like butting up against it it's like if you get recycled or if you get double recycled you're going to be automatically another it's like a six-week break yeah yeah so it was a long time and then finally i finished up in june and i was in bragg early july august well, what perseverance that it takes to go through for that long. I mean, that's that's just amazing. I don't know if it was perseverance or the fact that I was going to get up to brag. They were going to make me go through whatever program they had to brag and then send me right back. I said, I, I, why, why are you going to send me away? Just let me finish up. And they were, it was pretty good. They let me finish up. I'm glad. Did, did you have to go back to day zero at some point or were you? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But was like, were yeah. you already advanced into another phase and they put you back to day zero or were you just yeah. in a phase you had to go back? Yeah, my struggle was bad skill, bad luck uh, between Benning and at that time we did Benning and then we went to Bliss. So I bounced back and forth between Benning and Bliss a couple of times. And finally I finished up Bliss because I had a great Ranger buddy that said, hey, stupid, just do some things that I'm gonna do and we'll get you through. And he got me through Ryan Buxton. I still remember him, he's a PFC from the Ranger Battalion. Ryan Buxton pulled me through, finally got to the mountains, then we went to the swamps, and then we were done. So did you, how many times did you jump at Ranger School? You must have jumped a bunch of times. Um, I probably had, 
four or five jumps at ranger school plus a jump where brian grady and i were coming out of this hawk and we had to do that emergency drill where you spread eagle so you could bounce off each other because brian grady and i ran into each other up in up in our little parachute really so that must yeah. be pretty scary yeah well you come in and pretty you just got to do that and you're off it works <laughs> but it was a day jump luckily out of blackhawk I never, uh, I never got to jump uh, at Ranger School. It was just a coincidental, just the way things went down. I never, never had to jump. With oh, the, really? With weather, yeah. Even I got, I was just, it was just, there was one time I was getting ready to go and some general shows up on the tarmac and he's gonna jump and they're like, all right, Schleck, take your shoot off. You're out. You're out. And they took my shoot. I was like, this is great. One last chance to get hurt. That's right. That's a good, that's a great attitude. Yeah, I was always thinking to myself too that if I got hurt at Ranger School, I want to get hurt bad enough that I wouldn't have to go back. Like it wouldn't be like a sprained ankle where you get recycled. It'd be like something that was significant enough that you're out and you could leave with honor and not feel like you you know you quit. So because I was like yeah, nothing to lose a limb over or yeah, yeah. medically retired. Not, something that people like knew you got hurt. Nothing big like that. Yeah. What branch did you go? You went engineers, right? As, a, as an engineer, yeah, engineer. Yeah. Engineer was good, engineer was good. Eddie was engineers too, Eddie Bayouf. And then, so he had his breaking service and they came back and they wouldn't let him in the engineers. He had to, even though all he did was engineering. Um, he really? Had to, yeah, yeah, he, I mean, he's like a legit engineer. He's like, you know, math stud and everything PPM else. PPM and all that stuff? Yeah, all that stuff. And then, so they wow. wouldn't let him back in with engineers. They let him into the AG. But then his last assignment for the last year and a half, he's been doing these COVID hospitals or last, I shouldn't say last year, last 10 months, he has been setting up these hospitals and these hotspots um, to sort of, you know, be an adjunct to the, to the civilian, uh, you know, COVID response effort. And so he was actually in my neck of the woods about um, back in February or March, setting up a field hospital. It was good to see him. So he said he would rather not go back to New Jersey anytime soon, even if it was to see me. He said, so thanks for, thanks for ripping on New Jersey. That That's typical. So when he retires, where's he going to? Is he staying in Texas or where's he going? He's going to Florida. He's decided he wants to go to Jacksonville. So Jacksonville's where, his, Jacksonville's where his family is. So he's just going to go there. Okay. All right. Makes sense. That's the plan. That's the plan. And so even though he's been, we're out 29 years, he's, he's, he's got 21 years uh, of, he's like an equivalent of a 21 year uh, year group. I guess he's like year group 2000 and 2000 or so is what he is. That's neat that he came back in and kept pushing along. Yeah, yep. He's love of country. He's, he's just in love of the army. And I think he just, you know, he missed it. And then the opportunity came when he was in the reserves and they said, we know we would love to have you here. And I think that's, that's what happened too. Like with Beth, Beth became an army officer, an army, an army wife, but it was kind of like low off tempo initially because he was just in South Carolina living where he was living in the same house. He just basically started going to the army every day to work, you know, then came the move, then came the 28,000 pound move, you know, and, and then she became like having to deal with deployments and, and this is what Eddie talked oh, yeah. about in his speech about how you know she has she has just been such a supportive you know trooper all the way through. 
So, so let's let's go back in time. So you 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 went to a civilian college before you went to West Point. You were basically coming out of yeah, high yeah. school. Tell me that story about like where you were back in 1986, 87 time frame. Yeah, no worries. I graduated high school in 86 and then I immediately go to the University of Utah. Um, I didn't even think about leaving the state. I applied, I got accepted. I didn't leave. So I went to the University of Utah for a while. So I'm, I'm digging out. I'm just hanging out at home. I'm going to school. I'm probably not living a bad life, but not living a life that's really pushing me. And then my parents get divorced. And it's time to heck pay and how. So I ended up applying to like RTC programs and other commissioning sources and service academies. Um, nobody picks me up. Nobody says anything. Matter of fact, the RTC department say, thanks. No, thanks. You got to go away. We have enough. And so didn't even go down that road. West Point packet goes in. I get interviewed by Orrin Hatch. Well, his some staffer from Orrin Hatch. Packet goes in. I'm sitting in class. It's the spring of 87? Yeah, 87, spring 87. My brother gets in touch with me, says, hey, you got to come home. You got a letter. I get a letter. It says, hey, you are an alternate for West Point. Congratulations. And I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. A couple well, days later, I'll, find out the primary dude. Let, let yeah. me interrupt you for a second. So you, your plan was you had to figure out how to pay for school because you were like through your first year and you're like, I figure out it. economics are not yeah. going to be there. So it's like, I, I got to either go to a, a service academy, or get an RTC scholarship, or maybe leave school, right? That's what you're thinking about? Um, I don't think I was industrious enough to think about leaving school because that would have been having to get a real job. And that's probably not really where I was at my time. So mm -hmm. um, I was probably a little more stupid than I want to admit, but, but I'm grateful that it turned out the way it did. Uh, so I get a letter to say you're an alternate. A couple of days later, a guy find, drops out, doesn't want to go. I get a primary slot. And July 1st, I'm on a plane. And on my plane there, I'm riding next to Charlie Costanza who teaches me how to play gin rummy for one time. We get to the hotel. We spend the night in the hotel overnight in New York City. And then we bus on up to West Point and we get ready for our day. Wait, wait, was Charlie Costanza also from Utah? No, I don't know where we met, in what airport. I don't know if it was Dallas. Because I got a ticket. I think I probably flew from Salt Lake City to Dallas, Dallas to New York. I bet you that's how it was. And... uh he was one of the dudes on the plane. There was a whole bunch of us getting ready to go there. They put us so, up in this hotel. Does does the army fly you there? Like you you do they give you like orders to show up and they pay for your do you have to you have to pay your own way to get there? You know what? I don't remember, but I don't remember paying or buying a ticket. Huh. And, and my and, dad's cheap, so he wouldn't have bought a ticket. And and did you just like have to say goodbye to your parents right there, right at like right at the airport? Right at the airport. My dad gave me a quarter. Said, "Call me when you get to New York." I called him up and I said, "Hey, I'm here." Okay, great. Good luck. See ya. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like so. That, yeah, there was no our day. There was no, no our no, day. Like, there was no hugs. goodbye. Yeah, no. But I'm grateful. Can I? I can't imagine having a parent drive you up to New York and you're in wherever. Because four, three years later, four years later, in 1990, I was the one that got to be. I was fortunate enough. I got to be on the stage in our day to tell all the parents, hey, you're not going to see your kid anymore. You're going to see him at the parade. They're not going to talk to you. They're going to march by and they're going to walk to that Sally port and they're going to go to get dinner. Have a great day. See ya. So you were that but guy. I couldn't imagine. You were the welcome, like a, welcome, everybody. Welcome to West Point. That Yeah, they had like a big event down in Eisenhower Hall for all the parents. 
and they had this is what your kid's going to be doing over the summer. This is what's going to be going on. This is their academic program. Here's how you get in touch with me. You got a problem, all that good stuff. And then one of the little speeches was me. I was on the, the staff for Beast, and I got to be the guy that says, ma'am, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to go see a parade later this afternoon where your new cadets are going to come out and march on the field and do whatever, take the oath or whatever to take to be a new cadet. So I got to be that guy. Give my little spiel boom and then they go watch their kids in a parade i think now they get to see them at the end of the parade they get to they reunite with the family before they ever you know and i don't know what to think about that but i think if i was a i think if i was one of those new cadets or cadets or whatever we're referring to now i would want to make a really clean break because things are about to get really hard and stop dragging it out let's just break it and move on down the road it must be weird. but i don't know you got a lot of these kids like you, or maybe maybe it's more frequent now. The parents come, they drop the kids off. But like, doesn't that rub it in even more? Like, oh, you know, here's here's Rich Gordon, who's you know from Utah, and his family's not here. And here's you know Jamie Schleck, who's got his mom, dad, sister, and whoever else, girlfriend, all there. I mean, didn't even think about it. No. Yeah. I mean, I I saw the parents when I was there on doing my R-Day thing, and I thought, okay, that's cool, but it never realized because you were so focused on that moment because you your anticipation. You knew something was about to change the minute you left the little – because they took us to the gym, right, the soccer, the we, high school, we ice rink or whatever it was? We were in the Hollander Center. Now they do it at Eisenhower yeah. Hall. But you're there. You know that when you walk out that door, things are going to change. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't even pay attention. Mm -hmm. I look at my daughter's experience. My wife took her back, dropped her off. They spent a week together, all that good stuff. And I go, that, that, that could work. That worked for her. I don't know if that would have worked for me going to West Point. And your younger daughter is what, what grade now? What, what age? She's a junior in high school. So you're, you're, looking, high school. you're looking down, down the pike here at, uh, at being an empty nester not too long from now, huh? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm in, my daughter, my youngest daughter, is encouraging. She's kind of talked about going to schools on the West Coast, so that's good. She needs to um, spread her wings a little bit. I was really, really grateful that uh, my oldest had a great experience at GW her first year, and I hope that set the tone for what Charlotte would see her her first year when she goes away to grow and meet and do and be and be away from us to really kind of figure out who she is. So I'm looking forward to it. Now, whether or not we're true empty nesters, well, we'll see. We have a lot of flexibility. I think that, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of flexibility. Yeah. We um we were we were all celebrating Eddie's retirement, and we got to hang out afterwards in a very COVID-safe environment outside in his backyard, and all trading stories, and we were trading some parenting stories. You know. Oh yeah, good times. Yeah, and that's the one variable in the whole journey that's the most volatile. I think it's the one thing that you have the least control over. You know, there, there, there's, yeah. there, there's a lot of things you can control about your career and your decisions, whatever else, but like, you're, and, you know, of course you try to be a good parent, but, and I think we are all striving to be good parents, but there's no manual, there's no task condition standards. There's no, oh, no, 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 that made it hard. And then, you know, in, in my case, I would think that one, I don't always think I approached it right, being a father. Um, and two, you're gone so much and you're focused on some other stuff that you probably, in a lot of ways, maybe um, I shortchanged my kids a little bit. So I'm grateful that 
since retiring, we've been together as a family. We haven't moved. We haven't changed our environment. We've tried to be solid to get my youngest to high school to, to help kind of make those memories, to build that, to maybe make up for what happened when they were toddlers and five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. Uh, yeah, you want it. You want to give it to them. And, and then I don't know what it's like for you, but it's taken me a while. It's taken my wife nudging me saying, you know, maybe you should just let them be them. <laughs> and uh, remember what's important. They're good kids. They're not smoking weed. They're not stealing cars. They're doing their class. They're okay. And just accept it and go, okay. All right. Color your hair, be in a theater performance, join Model UN, do all those things you want to do and go for it and just be there. You mentioned mentioned smoking weed. Is is weed is weed um, legal in Hawaii? No. It's It's not. not. You would think it'd be you would think this state would be like weed be legal, but it's not. Maui Well we we were it took for a while even to get medicinal weed. That was one of our things we talked about too. What Eddie's going to do next? We said, "Listen, you, we got a, we got a perfect job yeah. for you. It's going to be you're, you're going to. We're all going to put in money, and we're going to found a business. It's going to be called West Point Weed, and he's going to be our CEO, and uh, and we'll have all of our. Not a bad all, idea. Yeah, well, it's le- it's going to be legal in New Jersey in a few more months. You know. You know, and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Because you watch these kids know. get drunk on two Jim Beams a night, and you look at it and go, "What? What's the difference between that and smoking some weed?" Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I we don't heard, need to go down that road. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we try to be apolitical in this in this podcast. And, and yeah. this is this is so. But, uh, you know, it was on the ballot this year for New Jersey and New, and New Jersey voted it in. So it's going to be legal. It's going to be 100 percent legal in another two months. Yeah, I was on Molokai once and I was talking to one of the teachers over there and they would rather the kids in the high school smoke weed because they were mellow. They wouldn't become violent. They wouldn't become aggressive. And what they found is when the kids were getting drunk and because kids are going to do this, um, when they were getting drunk, they would become aggressive. They'd become hostile. They would cause problems in the community. And they said, we'd rather have them smoke weed because all they're going to do is buy Doritos and veg out. You You know what? That makes sense. This is a big challenge, I would think, also for our classmates that are having to deal with future army policy and yeah, you're, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the army is a reflection of society, society is a reflection of the states, and you've got this, you know, some yeah. of these kids are coming in from le- states where it's legal, they're going to 100% come up positive on a piss test because they're abiding by the law and, and able to, to, to do this stuff, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how they're going to work through that. I, luckily, we don't have to deal with that right now, but yeah, you're right, it's coming. I don't know how guys at Fort Carson do it. We, well, or, yeah. uh, I think JBLM, I think JBLM's doing weed, mm-hmm. it, but I think thing, the army can say, Hey, no, we're not doing it. You can't do it. Yeah. It's like a federal thing. And well, the other thing too, yeah. is, uh, like medical marijuana, like the VA doesn't prescribe it. And, um, a lot of these veterans, veterans that I've been working with, um, who have, you know, other situations going on, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a veteran diversion officer. So people get in trouble and they come to me and I'm like, they're, they're, they're mentor. And they all want to do medical marijuana, and the VA is just not doing it. So that's it. Yeah, I think they're going to find some ways. We have to find some sort of technique, some sort of method to to resolve this. And and I think we will. We'll find something. It won't be happy for everybody, but we'll have to find some way to resolve it. Yeah. So going back, so so you get a call. Your brother says you get you Arn Hatch called or his office called. You got to come home. Oh no, you don't get that. You you get to. 
you got the recommendation from the senator and it goes in your packet. This was like a letter from West Point saying, congratulations, you're an alternate. Have a good day. And then the follow on of, hey, congratulations, you now moved up. Let's go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, he and he left. And how much time did you have from to, to decide? So you got you got selected as a as as the uh, the alternate. You got selected as the alternate. Yeah. How much time between then and, and our day did you have? Um, I want to say it was a couple months. So okay. it was like a you know it was like a early May, maybe right. maybe at late April. So mm -hmm. you got to make some quick decisions. You got to figure out what's going on. It was a great decision. I'm glad I made the decision. Um, but you didn't get a lot of time. But in that way, too, you didn't have to hem and haw about a lot of stuff. Okay, I've got to go. And you get it mm -hmm. all knocked out. I still remember buying. They told us to show up with a pair of black boots. Do you mm -hmm. remember that? Black shoes we didn't wear them. Black shoes and black boots, something like that. You never wore them. You never wore them. You put them right in you your know, pack. You brought them. And you brought them and you put them in the locker and somebody borrowed them or they got lost or whatever. You never wore them. Yeah. So. So who was your, do you remember who your beast roommate was and what that first day? Straight was? up. <laughs> yeah. Carl John Horn, the third. Okay. Carl John Horn, the third. And when Carl John showed up there, CJ Horn, he was awesome. Cause he probably was the smallest new cadet or cadet. Let's just call him new cadets. He was the smallest new cadet there, and people knew it right off. He literally was less than 100 pounds, and it wasn't because he was like a wrestler, you know. He was a le he was a legitimate 98 pounds, and they used to make Danny Colasanto was a rising firsty, and he used to make Carl join and Carl John sing this little song. I'm 106 oh. pounds of twisted uh, steel and sex, sex appeal. appeal. Yeah, yeah, that was Carl John, and he. Yeah. It I, they do that in every company, I think. Yeah, we had somebody like that. It too. might be, but my perspective was Carl John. And uh, CJ rolled with the punches, and he he, he was tough. He just kind of went with the flow, and he had a good attitude about it. Uh, I can remember, and then we get done with Beast. We go in the, our year. It's Halloween. He shows up in his Michael Jackson outfit, red leather jacket, black leather pants, white sequin, silver sequin glove, full legit Michael Jackson hat. And that's what he did for Halloween. And he was a flipping good Michael Jackson dancer. But uh, that was Carl John. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Where is he from? Oh, my gosh. He was from Florida somewhere. He, he's I'm looking through the list. of he's, He graduated with us. Yeah, he graduated with us. I think he's still in the Army, actually. I think he's teaching history um, at the Air War College. So I don't know if he's still in the army or not, but I think he's still teaching history. He ended up, he was one of those dudes that uh, I guess studied Napoleon in high school. Cause you know, every high school needs a Napoleonic scholar. And uh, he knew all those kind of things about Napoleon and the civil war and who did what. But he was a smart dude, a little weird, but he was a smart dude. And then um, what else do you remember about like, uh... Your time at West Point, and he, you, you mentioned this guy, Ernie Blankenship, was probably the Oh, uh, yeah, Ernie Blankenship. Yeah, Ernie Blankenship was on our company. I remember him, um, course squad golfer, fantastic athlete. His parents would drive up from Ohio. Like, we would get, like, those four- or five-hour weekends. Remember that? Yeah. You can go to, like, the PX, whatever. His parents would show up, pick a bunch of people up, take them down to the the river field. Or what was that place down there, down river at the bottom field. on the river? River courts, pizza and beer, and and Ernie was the the shizzle, um, but he was one of those dudes that you just wanted to be around him. 
always upbeat, always positive, always knew what was going on with you. He had a sense about him. You know, you meet some dudes like that and he had it. Um, and then we were roommates second semester, year in the year. Yeah, he had some academic problems. So we were living in Pershing Barracks up on the second floor. So it was Gene, Her- Gene Freeland, Lenny Horan, uh, Ernie and myself. We were in this four-man room in Pershing. It was awesome. The night before, we we're getting ready for the physics exam, the, the term end. We're hopped up on caffeine. We're playing mini basketball. Gene, really good grades, very studious. He wants to study. He wants to focus. Uh, Lenny, me, and Ernie were we're basically effing off. We, you know, we're, we're not worried about anything. We think we got this back. And uh, we go, yeah, I can still remember somebody going, hey, do you think they'll ask the question, why is the sky blue? And we all go, oh, that's a bunch of effing crap. Nobody's going to ask that. Well, they did ask that. And uh, we were all coming off our caffeine highs in the term end. Ernie failed. And by that time, it was like his fourth or fifth class. And they asked Ernie to leave. Uh, but uh, he ended up playing golf for Sin- University of Cincinnati, finishing up. He's an engineer now, doing great things. <laughs> you, you doing said great things. He was also like, you wouldn't anticipate that he was such a tremendous athlete, right? To just look at No, him. not at all. No, um, he was kind of gangly looking. He didn't have that stereotypical athlete body. He had a pot belly, even as a 19 year old man, he had a 19 year old boy he had a pot belly um kind of waddled when he walked but you he would play things that you you would watch him play games or hit a golf ball or shoot baskets or do that kind of stuff and you would go wow how did he do that and you just go wow now could he have run two miles in five minutes probably not but if you put a ball in his hand and put a team around him he was amazing do you uh you do you golf at all you you a golfer? No, not at all. I can't afford it. And you live in Hawaii too, huh? Oh, you know how expensive it is here? There's not like some MWR thing you can go on, like some some Yeah, you know how expensive that is. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't play golf, but what we ended up doing is um we ended up getting my daughter in sailing. And that's how my wife and I started sailing because of my daughter. So we sail from like the Navy MWR marinas. Those right. little eight foot, twelve foot boats. You know how ironic that sounds like Golf too much money, so you took up sailing instead. You know, like sa- yeah, but no, that's well, this eight foot dinghy that you get into to rent for an hour and a half is eight bucks or ten bucks. Right. You okay. can afford that. Okay. Okay. You can afford that. You can afford that. But there's some beautiful courses here, and uh, this serious business, these golf courses, all these retirees around here. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Are, so it, are, it's it's filled up. Are there a lot of, um, there's a lot of military retirees there too, right? Yeah, somebody told me that between the retirees, their families, active duty and their families, 10% of Oahu is in the military. Hmm. So on an island of about a million people, there's 100,000 people somehow associated with the military. And there's retirees all over this place. Because there's so many services that work here too. You got the Air Force, Navy, and the Marines are all got big headquarters here and they all got big units. I think I think that um, General Bramlett is retired over there. He's he is. Our, our he is, and I see him every once in a while. Uh, he comes to a lot of division ceremonies. He's pretty active in the Army Association, of the United States Army. Pretty active in the West Point Society here. Um, I'm trying to remember. Does he still live up on the North Shore, or does he live down in Waikiki? I can't remember. Somebody told me he was because he's older. He'd moved down to Waikiki. Um, but yeah, you see him every once in a while. He looks great. He looks great. 
Yeah, I saw him, uh, I think two years ago at the uh, Distinguished Graduate Awards because he was a, he was given that award as, as the Distinguished Graduate from West Point. And really? For that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, he's a good man. Uh, he let my parents stay in his house on quarters one or two or whatever it was for staff graduation. It was really nice. Really? Yeah. For staff graduation. Yeah, you know, there's like 25 of us graduating. And uh, yeah, so we, we should tell that story because we were talking about the pre call. Yeah, good times. So six months of ranger school, but you also coming at coming at tell us about that story with uh, Cal English first of year. Oh yeah, you know I'm a hard science major. I was an engineering physics guy. So they set our schedules up, and they, in all their wisdom, give us English second semester, first year. Uh, so I go through and, and I take the course. Uh, they changed the format that year, and it's your your grade is your term end. So I go in there, I start taking this term end. I think all is going to go great. I leave on time, all is well. I go out for that three or four day weekend, Memorial Day. I'm having fun. I come back, my room is clean, and I look on my desk, and there's a white envelope. I open the envelope. I already know what's going to happen. Um, we're sorry to announce you did not pass English 302. We'll see you in class on the next day at eight o'clock in Grant Hall. So I'm trying to get in touch with all my family. I'm trying to get in touch with all my family that's everywhere. It's all over America driving in and uh, finally do it. So I end up going to staff while y'alls are getting ready for graduation. That's brutal. So, and Bernie Christensen was your roommate. He's from my yeah. company, but you're on brigade staff. So was he there when you're opening this letter? Like, was, like what, what was, did he see, was he, part of that whole sort of like calculus of like what's going to happen here uh i don't remember burn being there he probably was because yeah. when you get that letter and it's sitting there it takes you a little while to process it uh. you're mad effing angry i i sent an email to my english instructor and said hey major bishop what happened and uh, he wrote me back it was a nice letter he says you're a great cadet you're a nice kid but you wrote a fragment and you had this something wrong in your paper i said okay great so i go to stap and while everybody's doing the graduation week stuff, I'm doing as much of that as I can. Because you're the Brigade S3. Yeah, the brigade, you're on Brigade staff, the Brigade S3, and yeah. you're getting forced to do it via June grad or a, you know, a July yeah. grad because of, uh, because of this stupid cow English. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I think I marched at one parade my first year, and that was the graduation parade. Right before the rain. Remember when the rain came down? Yeah. So uh, we marched in that. I marched in that. And Mike Rooney marched. So we both got to say Rich Gordon from Hanau, Germany. Mike Rooney from Hanau, Germany. So that was fun. All my parents were in the stands. Uh, you guys went to graduation at Mikey Stadium. I went to class that day. I whoa, moved whoa, over. To hold on a second. You got, they made you march in the graduation parade even though you're not going to graduate? Yeah, I wanted to. Okay. I wanted to. So I had an option. So I I said, hey, I'm going to do this. So I walked in the graduation parade. You know, everybody's there. You're looking great. It's, it's a, it was a great event. I was really grateful I had to. Uh, and then the next day is, was it dinner the next day? I don't remember. But it's graduation time at Mikey Stadium. I didn't go to Mikey Stadium to watch you guys graduate. I'm sitting in class with like 25 of our classmates doing English. And I wrote a paper a day for like two weeks. They finally said, hey, you're good enough. Stay here for another two weeks. You're going to graduate down in Eisenhower Hall with the other 25 of your classmates. Uh, General Bramlett, who was the comm at the time, 
knew I was going to graduate, knew my family was coming. My dad was able to come back with my dad's new wife and my little sister. My little sister, I know how old my little sister is because she was born the February that I graduated from West Point. They got to stay in quarters two the night before. Then we go down to ICAL, have our little graduation. Bam, I'm out of there. Wait, so did your old man know General Brownlett before from the Army or no. something? No. Wow. That's so I remember how got linked up, but somehow the General Bramlett extended the invitation and my my parents got to stay. My dad and his wife got to stay in quarters too. It's probably because you're on brigade staff, right? Because in brigade staff, you have a lot I, of uh, interactions with them. Yeah, I dealt with him all the time, but he probably really felt sorry for me. Probably did. And yeah. so to this, but to this day, I still get a little bit angry, but I've kind of gotten over it a little bit. It's taken me a while. I finally got over it. Uh, every time they somebody says, hey, would you like to donate to the cadet fund? I take a little bit of a pause. <laughs> <laughs> I take a little bit of a pause and then I, you know, okay, got it. But uh, it's, I tell the story a lot. It's a fun story. Uh, now looking back on it, the path is, the path is. Um, and now it's time to, to kind of move forward in the world and the life. But yeah, I tell it all the time. And that's why they changed the next year. You couldn't be a senior taking second. You couldn't take English your second semester. Um, yeah, so a little notoriety there. So I graduated class of 91.25. We couldn't make a rhyme, 91.25, you know, still alive or something. And I guess we could have, but we didn't do that. There were some, there were some cadets that didn't pass staff and had to stay as December grads, I think, right? Um, I guess. I would guess so. Uh, but at that time, you know, your own selfish self-worth is I got to, I'm, I'm done. I'm graduated. I finished my stuff and I get to leave. And so that was my focus. And mm -hmm. the minute I got Eisenhower Hall, it was like get in the car, get my little Subaru and drive across America to get some leave. Yeah. Rob Dill, Rob Dill from my, he was at Eddie's uh, graduation or Eddie's retirement. And he was reflecting because he also, he initially got an F. And then he, they revised, they re-reviewed they re it and he got like a C. He's able to stay. I mean, he's That's able great. to But he, was, he had family coming in from Kansas, the whole thing. And he said like, for like those 48 hours, he didn't know what to do with himself. He was just walking around like a, like a zombie. He just didn't, couldn't even process the fact that he wasn't gonna graduate. And then he was able to, you know, obviously get the good news that he was able to graduate with us. Yeah, it's a hoot. It was a hoot. Um, yeah. You, you said that you still get a little pissed off when somebody like leaves a dangling modifier in a sentence or uses a bad pronoun or something, right? Yeah, if I see passive voice, I'm circled in red. And now we do things so much on digital that I've learned to edit on digits. So I'll highlight something, I'll save as, send it back, fix this, I'm not writing, you're not writing this for me, you're not right, we're not getting this through. Um, so yeah, it's paid off. But I'm, I'm, they'll still be there. You know, I, I used to um, run a bunch of scientists, you know, or I was, you know, especially chemical manufacturer and um, we would have to write these reports and they'd have to be written by engineers and written by chemists, you know, and. Oh yeah, probably hard, but couldn't put a yeah, word to paper. So bad, so, so bad. But you know, this one guy was smart enough. He told me, he said, the problem with scientists is that they're always writing the passive voice. When you're talking about like lab reports, yeah. you don't say like, I added, you know, 25 milligrams from an Erlmeyer flask of XYZ. You, you say, you know, 25 milligrams was added to the flask. 
like like yep. important stuff is but yeah, it's, yeah. Like it's a lab report, you know, so people are constantly writing a passive voice and that's the right way to, to write uh, in that sort of field. And he said, that's the reason why we all write like, you know, we can't put sentences together to save our life. It's not because we're dumb. It's because that's the way we're taught. Yeah, but, uh, you know, so I'm now I'm getting to the point now where people bring stuff to me and I'll take their two pages of stuff and I'll put it on one page and it's easier, faster, better to read. So I'm grateful for that. And um Give them some skills. So we're getting some comments. We're getting so rich. Hold up your wrist there. You you wearing a Black Lives Matter wrist? Good for you. Is I am. Says? Yeah. So Becky yeah. Uh, Becky Canis is uh, commenting. Be Becky Marciata saying, "I appreciate your Black Lives Matter wristband." So good for you. Well, thanks. I try to be. Uh, I think we got to fix some things. We do. We do. And I think, like we we say, we're an apolitical apolitical. Uh, podcast but that's not political to me i mean obviously you know there's so much that we need to do um to yeah to i think we're, i think one of our challenges is in america the solution is going to have to involve 333 million people or whatever i think we're around 330 million people right now and when we're we got to get all everybody kind of in the process to find a solution and we got to treat everybody like they're treated and that's hopefully where you know we as as former army officers and west point graduates can kind of stand in the in the leadership and, and to say, you know, we may have divergent opinions, but we have one common interest, right? Which is the, yeah. which is our country. So I think that that's one of the, one of the messages that we try to bring uh, to the world and maybe through this podcast too, is, is that's our role. Well, I think that's a great way to look at it because we can all be examples. Mm -hmm. yep. So, um, so, so you get, you, you graduate finally. So did you lose leave because of that? Because the 30 no, I just started, I started OBC later than everybody else. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't, you still got your 60 days of leave. You started like in. Yeah, I think it took, I probably took 60 days of leave or whatever, but you just start OBC later and then you get going. Mm -hmm. It really hasn't, once you're done, it doesn't, it didn't impact me. It's, um, I generally got promoted along with everybody on those automatic promotions. There was a couple of times where I think it was like a month later, but it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Because your your commissioning date was it, it doesn't get backdated. It stayed stay July first. Oh, yeah. 22, 22 June, nineteen ninety one. What was the ceremony like for you that graduation? Um, I don't remember too much of it. We were in iCall, the stairs at iCall. Remember how you would come in and then to go up to the wings, you had to go to that the stairwell up to the second side and then go. Mm -hmm. over. I remember being on that. Um, we did some cheesy flip your hat up in the air right there in Eisenhower Hall, like everybody did. Um, you walked across, you did get your diploma. Um, I don't remember who presented it to us. And the crowd was obviously a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, it's still an important moment to say, okay, it's four years, all those relationships, all those activities, all that stuff. It's all done now, and it's time to start a new chapter, close the door, let's go. And it was, I was grateful to have that opportunity. Yeah, I don't know if you listen to this. There's a couple other podcasts where I've talked to people who were December grads, and one was Brian Mackey, and he was talking about how there's being a December grad is like being from the land of misfit toys. Like they, they don't know how to handle you. Like, and the graduation was so poorly planned. It was just kind of like, just show up and get your diploma on, you know, on December, whatever date that was, that he, he's yeah, still- that's, 
he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's still pissed off about it, I think. Yeah, I don't think you need to do some magic thing, you know, rent out iCall or rent out uh, Stadium, but you can make it because you, you, you're recognizing all the paths, all the good, all the bad that went on in those four, four and a half years, whatever it may be. Um, I'm surprised. I'll have to talk to my friend Andy Rendon because he was a December grad because he had to walk a bunch of hours and see what his thoughts were. What, why did he, why did he, why was he a December grad? What, what, did it, what was his? Uh, he was a walk in the area, but I don't remember what it was for. He so was that, an E4. So there weird stuff going on in E4. Oh, so. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't realize that um, he was a December grad. Turtle. We call yeah. him Turtle, right? Turtle, E4, Turtle. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. He, um, have you read the book uh, Spirit Mission by uh, Ted Russ? Um, I've seen excerpts of it. I've seen like reviews, but I haven't read it. One of the one of the characters in that book is 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 modeled after uh, Andy. Yeah, and he's still in the army. He's doing great things. Yeah, he's been he's he's a stud. He's a totally stud. Um, I didn't realize he's a December grad though. But uh, they, um, you know, he he they, uh, Brian Mackey was just he was reflecting on. There's kind of like three flavors of December grads. You've got those that are academic challenges. You've got those that are um, maybe because of a um, of, of discipline. Injury. And then you have the injury, right? So he was the injury portion, right? So the injury one is like, you know, you're a cadet in good standing. You're not on, you're not on, you're not walking the line at all. You're, you're going to graduate. And then you have these other two things and everybody's trying to look out for each other. And, and what a, what a fascinating kind of population that is of the, you know, couple dozen or so that are December grads, how they all look out for each other. But um, Dave Romano was reflecting this weekend about how it gave him a really good opportunity to know the 92 grads um, so well. He said, like, I have this whole other group of friends that yeah. you know, they're not as meaningful to me as the 91 group, but they were, they treated me really well and I had a great relationship with them. And, and so it's just more, more love in the world. Yeah, I had that with the 94 guys because when I went to flight school, all the 94 dudes were at flight school. So <laughs> I can still remember flight school, Rusty Bailey. He introduced himself to me. He said, yeah, you don't remember me, do you? And I go, no, nah, what are you talking about? Said, well, when I was a plebe, I floated to your table on the brigade staff and I didn't have my tie. And uh, you made fun of me for smoking dope in California. Well, <laughs> Rusty ended up going with me. Uh, and then he became the mayor of Riverside, California. Just gave up two terms of being a mayor of Riverside, California. So I know a lot of '94 guys. Yeah, he's, uh, he's the mayor of Riverside, California. Yeah, he just gave it up. Two year terms. Two terms. How do I not know Riverside, California ended homelessness? They're, they're one of the they're one of the thirteen proof point communities that have ended homelessness, and is very much to yeah. the mayor. Wow. Yeah, uh, I got. I was, uh, when I worked at U.S. Army Pacific, I went down to, to Southern California to ship out a bunch of aircraft to Hawaii, and I got to link up with him. And uh, he toured, he took, walked me around downtown Riverside, California. Beautiful. But he's like the mayor. He was I gotta, Rusty Bailey. I got I to gotta get his, I got I to gotta connect with him. That's awesome. Um, yeah, super guy. Wouldn't wear a tie, though. Well, Didn't spend a lot of time. In, he got, he was on that edge of, you know, we're transitioning to different aircraft, and he got kind of short-chapted, but. Uh, super good guy though. So, so let's move forward to your time in the army. You had a, a yep. very, very uh, uh, colorful and, and impactful and rewarding career, you know, infantry officer, aviator, um, 
uh, give me some of the highlights of that as, and, and maybe some of the low, the low lights as well. Um, wow, that's a big question. Um, I'm going to start with things that aren't normal army stuff. Okay. Um, it's like when we'd already talked about meeting Heine Forster, the mayor of the German town, that touched my heart. I mean, I got to do that in the army. That was pretty cool. I can remember celebrating Christmas 2004 in Tegucigalpa, Honduras with Manny Grabal, our classmate. And my family came down for Christmas and we got to celebrate Christmas in Tegucigalpa. Stayed up till midnight because the tradition was on Christmas Eve, you stay up till midnight. And then at midnight, that's when the Christ child came. And that's when you have your party and your celebration. Got to spend Christmas of 2004 to five in the Honduras with Tegucigalpa. Um, I can remember how much uh, love and care my family got when my youngest was diagnosed with type one diabetes and the team that came together to take care of my wife and my kids. Cause I was in Pakistan at the time trying to get back from being in Pakistan. Uh, the people that took us and took her and the family out of the wing, beautiful. Um, I was grateful to be able to touch some lives in a really positive way when I was in command as both a company commander and battalion commander because I followed dudes who didn't put the soldiers and their families ahead of what they were, what those individuals want to accomplish. So I got to flip that a little bit and I was grateful for that. And I learned that all in the arm, you know, all at West Point of, Hey, this is a team sport. The team has to succeed, put the team first. Um, so that was some powerful stuff to me. Um, I've been in some fantastic units with dudes who are just remarkable men and women um, who can accomplish super awesome. And then it's, the superlatives are just sound trite, but, they accomplished things that nobody had ever accomplished before. We were doing different tactics with how we were using aircraft, both attack and utility and infantry to go out and hunt and get bad guys. Uh, some pretty amazing things. Uh, I think overall, though, I really look at the time in the Army and go, you know, I, I had an opportunity to be with men and women from all over the world that for that period of time when they were in the Army, whether it was three years, six years, 15, whatever, at some point they demonstrated that the group, the team was better than themselves as an individual. And it was just, it was powerful. Uh, so I get, I'm glad I get to experience that. And I got to experience that. And I kind of still get to experience as a DA civilian, but uh, those are some powerful things. It was really cool. So where was your, where were your, where was your battalion command? Where, where, where did you have that? Uh, that was in Germany, right there in Ellison. And, and that was an, as an, as an aviator, obviously. Right? Yeah. Uh, there's only a couple of battalions like ours in the army. I was, I joked that I was the highest paid company commander in the army. I had like 90 soldiers in this battalion. They were all really super smart air traffic controllers. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we got to know who they were and, you know, they got things to do. They have skill sets. They got capabilities that we got to share and develop. It was pretty cool. Now, I'm always fascinated. I, I did not, I did not serve to become to, to that level to get to become a, um, you know, like a, a senior uh, field grade officer, but when you become a battalion commander, that relationship with your sergeant major is a pretty important relationship. But what's unique about that, or not unique, but generally that person is um, like when you're like whenever when you're a company commander or when you're a platoon leader, that that person who is your who is your sort of like um, NCO uh, buddy. Or like you know, your 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 equivalent, they are much more senior than you. They're like you know, like like an E seven has been in the army for let's say eight to twelve years, and you're a, you know butter bar one year in, right? 
if you're a company commander, you're at year seven or eight, and that first sergeant's been in for like 15 or 18, you know? But when, yeah, you're, definitely. when you're a battalion commander, that sergeant major has been, maybe he's got a few more years on you, but not that much, right? No, not at all. And, and I can still remember all my, I think if I really took time, I can name all my platoon sergeants. I can remember my two company first sergeants when I was company commander. And I know for a fact I can name my two battalion sergeant majors. And I still keep in touch with Joe Chang uh, right now. Um, we became very close friends after I left the Army, while I was in the Army. Uh, he's great friends with my family. I think if, if somebody said, hey, if, if my daughter and GW got into trouble, you know, let's say that there was an apartment fire and she got kicked out because of the apartment fire, whatever, I would call Joe up who lives in Kentucky and say, Joe, you have to go to D.C. and go take care of Ruby. And he would get in his car and he would drive. And he would do nothing but drink Red Bulls and eat gummy bears until he got to D.C. And he would make sure that Ruby was taken care of. My first son is company commander, uh, Jim Literal. He and I still keep in contact. He lives in Kentucky. He lives right outside Campbell. Uh, he's got three grandkids now and we keep in touch. But you're right. Those are dudes that take you aside or dudettes that take you aside and really try to make sure that you're doing the right thing for the team. Because sometimes... Uh, eagerness or energy isn't as good as being smart and that's what they kind of brassled you back to smart and said hey don't do it that way or do it this way and it really kind of worked out my first sergeant that i had when i was a, a senior lieutenant was lights out like the best nco like oh that's yeah and he actually became a sergeant major of the entire um corps of engineers he was you know he really? was yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, well, thing. Um, I knew you were gonna ask. Me. <laughs> I should. It's um. No, no, I'm not. McHenry. McHen uh, because those. Hold on. Hold on. I, 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 I'm drawing a blank here. I'm gonna. It's um. Shit. McDaniel, Sergeant McDaniel, First Sergeant. Oh, that's McDaniel. cool. McDaniel, yeah, he was great. But he's the guy that would like he'd lock your ass up. As like a you know as like the XO or even the company commander, he'd say, "Listen, you know, like, sir, close the door. We need to talk." Boom, and he would like lay into you. But a sergeant major to me it seems like sergeant major <laughs> is more your peer. You're, he's like your easy. He's, he's your chronological peer, most likely, right? He or she. So does that change the relationship at all? Yeah. Just, uh, boy, I think. Um, there were times where Joe would come with more questions and say, why are we doing this? And I had more ability to be able to kind of describe why we're doing things. Um, but when I was a company commander, a platoon leader, where I got a lot of the one way, hey, you need to think about this and don't do that. Uh, by the time I was a commander with Joe, we, I had a more of a, I have to treat. So that was cool. That was really good. I really have enjoyed talking about memories with you today. It's fun. It's fun. And we're going to make many more, mem me many more memories too. You know, I, um, like I said, I'm coming off, coming off this oh, week, yeah. coming off this weekend where I was able to, you know, reflect with a lot of uh, our classmates. Um, Rich, I told you the time was going to fly by so quickly, right? We're not done, but we're getting towards the end. And I want to make sure we, make sure we get in all the things you wanted to talk about and, and make sure that we don't, we don't skip anything. So um, I, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just kind of like walk through our, our list of things that you were talking about. And I think we pretty much caught almost everything. 
Um, the uh, I did What's that? You know, I have a little bit of a a little bit of a buffering problem with with the internet here. I, I think it might be. I'm looking at your your signals here. It may not be that good. Yeah. Okay. Let me see what I can do. All right. Hold on. Okay. How's that? I'm I'm hearing you okay. I'm hearing you okay. So one of the things you said, your advice about getting no. getting out of the army, some of your advice was just rip the bandaid off. Don't 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 let the army define you and rip the bandaid off. So do you want to maybe talk a little bit about that and and uh, and and give us your kind of like final reflections to pass along to our classmates? Yeah, I think um, when you finally do decide you're going to leave, just leave. Don't take years to decide. Don't oh, agonize over decisions. Just leave. Um, somebody once explained to me that the army owes you nothing, and uh, I'm, that was good advice. When I got ready to leave, uh, it allowed my family and I to make a transition that was easier. Uh, we didn't hem and haw. It took a little growth on my part to realize, wow, I, you know, it was time for me to leave. But there was another path, another chapter. So uh, I think uh, guys got to do that. And then I think that the biggest thing, walking away, it is is your time at West Point, however long you spent in the Army, whatever time you have now, that, that's all behind. And the past is the past. You're still going to be defined by what comes ahead. So you got to keep looking ahead. And, and, I, and I know for me, I find myself all the time, look ahead because um, that's where the, the fun is going to be. The fun's going to be ahead. The memories are good. They're neat. They're behind, but they're behind. You got to look ahead. So that's my wisdom. That's great wisdom. You know, always, always make your future greater than your past and don't let your past define you. I think that's, uh, that's great, great advice. Yeah. Good way to, yeah. So Rich, it's been a pleasure talking tonight and reflecting and walking down memory lane. Um, thank you for your service. Thank you for your esteemed career. Thank you for continuing to serve, you know, being there and, and helping to support uh, the great training and, and soldiers of, of uh, uh, everybody training in Hawaii. And um, thank you for your friendship too. I mean, you, you and I knew each other at school and I've always enjoyed your company. And I think you, you, have, a, you have a really just a, a great attitude about everything. I try, I try because it's important. You meet great people. You just gotta enjoy what you got. Well, and thanks for having me on. It's been a really fun. Thank you. Thank you, um, and um, I look forward to uh, I look forward to to, to to seeing you again. You'll be at the 30th reunion, I hope, next year. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I'll leave you with is Mark Amitz and our classmate in our com my company. He's recommended they try to band to come play the 30th reunion for us. So my vote right now is Guns N' Roses, because everybody had appetite for destruction as a cadet. So I think you being all high muckety-muckety with the AOG, we need to get Axel Rose and the boys, come play Mikey Stadium. And I think you can pull that off. So we need that to get a little GNR going. I got my um, I got my marching orders. I think about, you're right about GNR. That was like the epic band. Like when we were like going yeah, down range, playing it in the, you know, in the headsets and, and um, you know, being in a bar yeah. or something. I just, I, I, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> 
Sweet Child of Mine, November Rain. Those are my those are my favorite songs by them. So, but anyway, it's Rich. Thanks again to all of our classmates that joined us. Thanks for joining us tonight. Sorry that we may have had a little bit of technology glitches, but I'm in isolation. There's a crazy lightning storm going on, and Rich is in Hawaii, so uh, we did our best. And so, thanks again, Rich. You can um, stick around a little bit. I'm just going to stop the live feed, and we can just debrief real quick. Okay, buddy. Thanks. All right. So, everybody, thank you. Thank and, you for uh, joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Thank you.